0: We're going to be in Psalm 73 tonight. Um, every other scripture that we'll be covering is on your handout, but it would be good uh, if you have your Bible with you to go ahead and open to Psalm 73. And um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one close by. You can just grab one of those Bibles in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, that one's yours. So take it with you. It's our gift to you. Um, but if you would go ahead and flip open to Psalm 73, so whenever we, we will get there, I promise. Uh, but we do need to, we need to unpack some things before we, uh, before we do. So we're in this series, um, Dumb Things That Sound Smart. And, uh, and so we've just been dispelling these ideas, these myths that get passed around as, as truth oftentimes. And a lot of times what happens is, is people will embrace them as truth um, just because um, well, well-meaning people and, and people, and as we've gone through these, this is week eight, And as we've gone through these these things one by one, maybe somewhere along the way you've found where maybe you've embraced in some way, shape, or form some of these myths, some of these spiritual urban legends. In some way, you've held on to these things. And so it's been good for us to, to take a look at Scripture because we understand that it can be dangerous. Like, it can be dangerous when God's people... Uh, embrace something that gets passed around as truth, but isn't ultimately, isn't ultimately truth. And so um, maybe, you know, I was I just, we've been going through this. I just been thinking about all the different ways that these things get passed around. A lot of times it's, we're told by people that we trust or told by people in the church. And sometimes um, people will teach things uh, that are incorrect. Some, sometimes pastors will teach things that are incorrect and it gets passed around as truth. Or it just, it just makes sense to us. Like sometimes it's, like, it's really about, well, this makes sense. And oftentimes God's ways really, they don't make sense, but this makes sense. And so I'm gonna hold on to this because it, it makes sense. Or maybe it's just because ultimately we want it to be true. We just want things, that, something to be true. And tonight I feel like there's a little bit of that uh, that probably is you know, ingrained in us. Like we want this to be true. But once again, what we're going to see is that these spiritual urban legends, they can't hold up to the test of Scripture. They can't hold up to the test of Scripture. And so... It doesn't matter who told us. It doesn't matter who taught us. It doesn't matter how much it makes sense. It doesn't matter how much we want it to be true. The question is, is this what Scripture teaches? Is this what God has declared in His Word? So that's what is most important. And what we want to do is we want to be people who measure every single thing that we're told or taught by the Word of God. And so, and listen, it... It doesn't matter, like, the things that are taught from this platform in this church, you should measure them by the Word of God. Like, we should hold them up, and Scripture should support the things in which you're being told and taught. So it doesn't matter what you're told, doesn't matter the source, doesn't matter anything. It should always measure up to the Scriptures, okay? That is what's most important. And so what we're going to see tonight is this, this spiritual urban legend, it can't hold up to the test of, of scripture. I um I want to just kind of let you into my world, here at the here at the church and uh, my, uh, just some of the things I have to deal with as a pastor here. Uh, and this doesn't have anything to do with you, so you guys are off the hook tonight. This has to do with the other pastors, okay? So they give me a hard time, and so like I just like I need I need you to be on my side in all this, and so I just want to share with you. Um, they, they have this idea and I get, man, I get hounded by this all the time. There's this idea that I've got like the Midas touch that anything that Brian touches just turns to gold and everywhere I go, it's sunshines and sunshine, and rainbows. And it's like, you know, wherever I go, people are just constantly handing me hundred dollar bills and you know, we go to lunch and my lunch is free and they pay double. And so like, there's this, now this is not true. But if you ask them, I can assure you. And so I started thinking back to, uh, I started thinking back to like where did this all start? And uh, and I'm pretty sure because it's been going on for years now. I mean, like everything they say, it's like you know how cars age. You know what I mean? Like like my truck, it ages every year, but they're convinced like it gets new. So like it's 2023. So now they harass me. Like I got a 2026 truck. You know what I mean? It's like, it's never ending. It's the complete opposite of Charlie Brown and the rain cloud that just follows him around. It's the exact opposite. But I I think it goes back to, this was years ago. Um, I was taking my wife's car in for an oil change. And when I, when i did uh, there was a recall for her for her car and so i you know time is valuable to me so i didn't when the recall came in i didn't take it in for that i waited till i needed an oil change and then i took it in so they could take care of both things at the same time well it was going to take some time so i just dropped it off and left and so they did the oil change they called me and they said uh, and they said well, we're going to run the you know a diagnostic test we're going to have to run and check things and then we'll let you know about the about the recall and uh and so we're you know i'm doing my thing i get a phone call and they're like mr yates um we did your oil change and uh also we ran the diagnostic test and um it failed uh and it was a some emission recall they were doing an emission test or whatever and they're like so we're going to need to replace your engine in your vehicle and i'm like and i'm like okay and they're like no, no, no. It's, it's no charge to you. It's recall. And I'm like, huh? Okay. Like, like her car's got 46,000 miles. And so I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. You're telling me you're going to put a brand new engine in my wife's car at no charge. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, well, praise God. You know, I'm super excited. And they're like, but we already did do the oil change. So it's going to be like, whatever, 50 bucks. And I'm like, I'll gladly pay the $50 for, you know, and so like, and they did, they, they literally put a brand new engine in my wife's car, but I think that was the catalyst for this whole Midas touch thing, and, uh, and so, man, I catch flack all the, all the time, like, life is good. Everywhere I go, like I said, it's sunshine and rainbows, and things just always turn out uh, in my favor, but here's, here's, here's the thing, that's a myth, that is, that is not true. That is not true. I, I experience pain the same way you experience pain, the same way Matt experiences pain, the same way that Tony experiences pain and Chandler. Like, I, I suffer just like the rest of you guys. That is a complete and total myth. And so here is our myth for tonight. Here's our myth for tonight. Spiritual, spiritual urban legend number eight, the idea that God brings good luck that God brings good luck. So I want to take a minute because I feel like we need to frame this in because I believe wholeheartedly that this is a much bigger problem than what we would initially think. So I just need you to let's, let's think through this thing together because like, well, God brings good luck like he's just a genie in a bottle. I'm like, okay, well, if I go to church, then good things are going to happen to me. I'm going to get a brand new engine in my in my vehicle and you know lunch is free and you know what I mean like everywhere I go it's just everything's gonna work out well that doesn't you know we know that's not real life but let's just let's just talk about it for a minute because we see this if we're honest and we take a step back and we look and we realize wait a minute we see this idea that's embraced both in culture and we see this idea embraced within the church and so let's just look first at, at culture it, that there's this there's this form of, of uh, Christianity, I use that loosely, but there's this form of Christianity that embraces, it's really just all about rituals and symbols and rules. And so many people will abide by this, but nobody really, nobody really follows. So for instance, think, think, like, think with me about this. So athletes, uh, think maybe, maybe you're a baseball fan or uh, basketball or football or whatever uh so like baseball before somebody comes to get up in the banners box what do they do they do the whole you know point up to the sky you know like they're like right there's this ritual that we're doing if I acknowledge God then good things are going to happen then I'm going to hit the home run or maybe it's shooting free throws or maybe it's uh you know taking a knee as we you, you see what I'm saying it's like well if I do these things these rituals then good things are going to happen for me or maybe it's not an athlete. Maybe it's a soldier who wears a cross around their neck. Is this idea? And and in no way, shape, or form does there now the the athlete is completely talking trash to everybody else on the field or on the court, right? The soldier is not regarding God in any way, shape, or form. But there's a there's a cross around his neck as a symbol of protection to protect me while I'm out. Maybe it's uh maybe it's people who drive. I've seen this uh seen this where people have angels hanging on their rear view mirror or, um, maybe saints hanging on their rear view mirror as a, as protection, right? That if I do these things, then God's going to bring me good luck and he's going to protect me and keep anything bad from happening to me. People will place Bibles in places. Maybe I've seen people put Bibles in their vehicles. I've seen people put Bibles in their houses. It's just like by having the Bible in place, that is going to somehow, God is going to bless our work, bless our home, bless our, you, you see what I'm saying? Politicians will confess this belief in, in God in hopes that it will bless their campaign or, you see what I'm saying? And so the list goes on and on. So if we're honest, if we stay, take a step back, we realize, wait, this is a much bigger problem than what than what we uh, originally thought. And what it does is it, it plays God for a fool. It really does. It plays God for a fool. Like, hey, you can do this thing, and God's just going to bless your endeavors, whatever that, whatever that is. And uh, if, you're, you know, if you're over probably 40, I don't know, maybe some of you younger folk in the room, uh, you remember Leave It to Beaver. How many of y'all remember Leave It to beaver okay so there's a hand so I grew up watching leave it to beaver but I didn't I didn't grow up in the 50s so I want to be very clear Uh, reruns okay and so uh, maybe you did grow up in the 50s and you saw the original when it when it came out I'm watching reruns but uh, if you've ever watched leave it to beaver then and you should that is a wonderful show uh, you know the character Eddie Haskell and so want to talk for just a minute something we're going to call Eddie Haskell Christianity tonight okay now if you remember Eddie Haskell he's he was a friend of Wally and uh and so he was man he was two-faced 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 and so he was always super nice to um to Wally's parents he he was all man it was always yes sir yes ma'am like he would go above and beyond he would he would make himself appear to be this awesome kid this great influence on their kids like he was but like when the moment they turned their back then what was he doing man he was a punk he was a jerk he was the wor- like he was a bad influence on Wally he was a complete jerk to to Beaver right like they he was man and but but he thought he had them fooled, right? Like, hey, I'm just going to present this thing and, uh, as one way. And, and you know, that I'm going to just get it over on them. They're not really going to know what's really going on behind the, behind the curtain. But this never works. Here, here's the point in that. This never works and this is dangerous because God is not, he's not fooled. He's not fooled by the rituals. He's not fooled fooled by the two-faced he's not fooled by the soldier who wears the cross or the bible on the table or the angel in the car or the politician that confesses one thing he's not fooled by that and secondly what about what about in the church what about in the church i, I started thinking i was thinking this week about um, just the undertones of so many now nobody comes out and says god brings good luck so let's just Throw that out because nobody says that. But if you listen to what people, if you pay attention, all right, so as we looked in culture, all of a sudden now we realize, wait, people are communicating that they think God brings good luck by their actions and what they're doing. Well, the same, same thing is true in church. And so the undertones of conversations that I've had um, after years in ministry, I started just thinking about all the different ways that this is, that this is true. And so I started thinking about um, conversations with people that uh, have tried church. They say, you know, hey, hey I, tr- I, tried, I tried church. And, and oftentimes what happens is people will try church. And notice I'm saying, like, they're not embracing God or Christ or the following him. Just trying church. There's a difference. So Because they're in a moment of crisis and they don't know where else to turn. And so they show up in church and they try church. And then one of two things happens. Nothing changes. And so they're like, they throw up their hands. And they're like, well, the heck with this whole church thing. Like, nothing's changed. My marriage is still a wreck. My job is still a wreck. My kids are still a wreck. My, you fill in the blank, right? So nothing changes because they had this idea that God was going to bring good luck. He was going to make things good and make things better. And, or what happens is they show up in a moment of crisis. They try church. Things do get better. And once things get better, they're nowhere else to be found. Right? Until, until the wheels come off again in the next time and then they'll show up. But the point is, it's like there's this idea that, hey, God brings good luck. Or, or I thought about, um, well, let me finish this thought. Because what God doesn't want and what... People don't need to try church. What people need is to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then things do get better, but not the way in which we expect it. Okay? And so the, the point is this. is like well, The goal and the answer is not to try church. The, the goal and the answer is to submit to the, to the lordship of Christ and follow after him. And like I said, yeah, better, yes, but not, not at all how we expect it. To be. So then I thought about I thought about maybe a new Christian who um, commits to commits to following Christ, and they're like, and they start following Christ, and then things don't get better; they get worse. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but like, or maybe you're not a new Christian. Maybe you're like, hey, you're like, God exposes some things in your life. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to step out in obedience. And maybe you've been disobedient for a long time, but you're finally like, you know what? God's calling me to do this. I'm done saying no. And I'm just saying yes, Lord, to whatever it is. And so step out in obedience in the moment that you do, man, it gets, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. It gets hard. And then the conversations that I've had with people, they're like, man, I don't know what's going on. Like I committed to follow Christ. I surrendered my life to him. I laid it all over to him. I'm following him and life is terrible. It's not better. It's worse because there's this expectation. Like I said, we won't say God brings good luck, but a lot of times in our, it it fleshes itself out. If we take a step back and look, and there's something in us that it just doesn't feel right. Wait a minute. I'm doing the right thing. So things should go right. That, that makes sense to us, doesn't it? Just going back to what we, how we started this whole conversation. It makes sense to us that if we're doing right, things should go right. But that's not how God works. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So we need to understand there's... Often an unfounded and unrealistic expectation as to what should happen when someone ventures to follow God it's an unrealistic expectation it's not found in scripture. This idea that, that living life God 's way brings good fortune is not that we don't see that in scripture it's like, it's, you know we, we, there's like this expectation that if If we do this, then God's going to tip the scales in our direction, our way, that life's going to be easier, that life's going to be better than before. And then when the opposite happens, it's like, God, you promised one thing, but you deliver another, and then we have a a huge problem on our hand. The problem is we go around putting words in God's mouth that he never said, and then we get mad at him when he doesn't deliver on a promise that he never made. And so we got to be very, very careful not to, not to do that because we got a problem. When we, we have this idea of a promise that God made and then something else happens, that's a problem. But the truth is, is the Bible makes no promise of this. And so we can't buy into that, that lie. Actually, listen to, what, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up an instrument of death and follow me. Doesn't sound like good luck. It just it just doesn't. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is what we need to understand. We need to understand that Jesus never promised his followers a long run at earthly success. Like that's not, that's not what he promises. We can't, we can't get caught up in embracing that and holding on to that. Like we got to be careful that we don't buy into what so many in the culture and, and even in the church people will buy into and embrace. Like we can't, that, that he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't promise his followers a long run of success. And and look, I'm going to tell you some things that he does promise, but these aren't the only things he promises, but let's just talk about in regards to our conversation tonight. What are some things that he does promise? Well, Jesus promised forgiveness. Jesus promised forgiveness. He promised to make a way that he was going to lay down his life And offer himself up as a sacrifice, take the weight of our sin and give us, apply his righteousness to our life so that we might have relationship and communion with God the Father. Like he promises forgiveness, the thing that has separated us from God. Like he promised to deliver that. Okay? Number two, in light of that, Jesus promised eternity. He has secured our future through forgiveness, through the work in which he accomplished, through his life and his death and his resurrection. So he has secured eternity forever with him. Not earthly success. He's secured, like we get so caught up on this little thing we call life. He's secured eternity He's secured eternity. Like, that's good news. Listen, what else he's, he's also promised. He's promised difficulty. He's promised difficulty. He's clear over and over and over in Scripture. There's, this is a broken world. that Life is going to be hard. We 're going to experience difficulty we 're going to experience difficulty just by living in a broken world. we 're going to experience difficulty because we 're surrounded by broken people. we 're going to experience difficulty because we 're broken we 're going to cause pain in our own lives. We 're going to experience difficulty. we 're going to experience difficulty if we surrender to follow Christ and choose to follow after him we 're going to experience difficulty for the decision that we 've made to follow Jesus. we 're going to experience difficulty. that 's a, that's a promise in scripture, but here 's the last one. Jesus promised to be with us. That Jesus promised to be with us. That we don't we don't experience these things alone. And so yes, we're going to experience difficulty, but God himself has come to reside within his people. He's given us his his holy spirit that he walks with us just as we talked about at the beginning of service like we 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 you know we celebrate the mountaintops together but we also walk through the valleys. Well God is with us every step of the way. He's with us on the mountaintops, he's with us in the valleys, and he's with us everywhere in between. That's who God is. That he he goes with us. And and his promise is not that, you know, that we're going to that we're going to win the lottery, we're going to get the winning lottery number. It's not that you know, you're going to get the job promotion. It's not necessarily that you're going to have good health or you're going to have riches or you're going to have the greatest marriage. Or now you, you may have those. You may. But they're not promised. Those things aren't promised. So there's, there's something we've got to work through. There's an assumption that, that living God's way will cause most things to work out. And like I've said, we want this, we want this to be true. We want it to be true. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. God taught me this lesson early on in my walk with, uh, early on my walk with him. And so um, we were coming back. We were actually driving back from the hospital yesterday. And uh, Matt and Chandler were having a conversation and, uh, you know, Chandler was talking about just things that are going on and he's, you know, the fact that he's 26 and like, so Matt's like, Brian, what were you doing at 26 years old? And I'm like, oh my gosh, who you know? And so I'm like, at 26 years old, that was one year before I surrendered my life to Christ. And so that was a year before I, before I showed up, showed up here. Now that was before this building was here. You know, the first time we showed up, it was over where the kid zone is, it was in the East Sanctuary. Um, but I was, you know, my life was, my life was a mess. I had, you know, my, I had two kids at that point in time. My wife, um, you know, she was a believer, so she was always adamant about bringing the kids to church and involving them and, like, you know, and, and being involved in that. And I always tried to, you know, find my way out of that and make excuses and look for any reason, you know. And so the list went on and on. But then um, we hit a, we hit a, a roadblock. And, uh, and I was following in the footsteps of my dad in regards to uh, alcohol. And, uh, and so, like, it was not a good place. And so, at 27 years old, I'm like, okay, let's at least try church. Okay, you know what I mean? Like, like this is important to you. I'm willing to do, do some things, take some steps to, you know, try to make this thing try to make this thing work. And so I'm going to do it for my wife just for the sake of peace. And hopefully, you know, she'll get off my back and I can go on doing my own thing. But, but in me, there was this thing. It was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be open-minded. I'm going to be completely open-minded. Maybe she's right. And so in the midst of all that, God saved me. And I, I can remember I, I surrender my life to Christ and And I can remember from that moment, like, nothing's ever been the same for me. And I can remember walking away in that moment going, man, she was right. She's right about this whole thing. There's so many things that I was wrong about. Like, like, I'm so excited to live for God. And I'm so excited. We're going to have the most amazing marriage in the history of marriages. Let me just tell you, it was bad before i became a christian and it got way worse she quit coming to church you know what i mean like shit. like the like it was crazy it was like the one thing she had been praying for looking for hoping for it was now a reality and she's like i don't believe it i don't trust what i'm seeing i'm not encouraging this in any way i don't want any part of it and it was terrible and every day got worse And every, like, it was miserable. And I'm like, hold on, like, the most amazing thing has happened in my life. And the one person I want to share it with is the one person who understands and gets it. And you want nothing to do with me. And so it was difficult. And I'm not talking about days or weeks, I'm talking months. I mean, literally, the next six months of our marriage was the worst time in our marriage ever. And I can remember, like, I can remember um, thinking, man, I feel like it was better before, like, like I, part of me is like, literally, I thought maybe I'll just go back, and then I can remember thinking, well, no, there's no, there's no going back. But, but here's here's the thing. I was thinking about this this week. Here's the thing that, I, looking back, was most shocking. I, uh, man, I was. I very quickly I found, um, like, some good Christian men to. Um, just to learn from. And you know what I mean? Just some good, just good men. But here's the thing. I was, this is what was communicated. Now, not by everybody, but this is what was communicated. What was communicated to me was, well, this isn't right. You shouldn't have to experience it. Like you're doing right. You're, you're trying to do the right thing. And so she's wrong. Like you, and like what was the undertone of those conversations was you're doing right, so things should go right. You shouldn't be experiencing these difficulties because you've, you've turned your life around. You've surrendered your life to Christ, and so now things should be good for you. So you're right. She's wrong, and you shouldn't be experiencing this. And that was what was com- communicated to me by, by not just one person, but by multiple people. And that's 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 wrong. That's wrong. In the midst of that, God was sanctifying me, and he was sanctifying my wife. And man, we have an unbelievable marriage today. But let me just tell you, from the get-go, God taught me a lesson. God taught me a lesson. He took me to school from the very beginning. But I'm so grateful that that I didn't buy into, he taught me in such a way that I wouldn't buy into that this myth, because it's so common. It's so common. There's a long history of, of God's people being misled. Think of this. Think of Job. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Job, maybe you're not. But think about Job. If you want to go home tonight and just read, just read the first couple chapters of Job, and you'll get a good understanding of what's going on. Like, Job was a righteous man. He was walking with God. He was, he was doing all the right things. And then what ultimately happened is uh, he lost everything. He lost all his possessions. He lost his house. He lost his, he lost his kids. He lost his health. Like, he lost everything. Everything. And listen to the words of his wife. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Why? Why curse God and die? Because things aren't going good. You're doing right, but things aren't going right. And so in her mind, those two things can't be true. She's like, so, so God must not be true because things aren't going right. And what does he, what does he say? He says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. He's like, you have no clue. You bought into spiritual urban legend number eight. That's what, that's what he said in that moment. He's like, you bought into the lie. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And it said, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Look, there's this there's this tendency. People people are quick people are quick to accept the good things of God right when good things happen people are real quick to accept those things you know the days when you hit every green light like no light is red when you when you go to buy something and it's on sale and then you go to the cash register and then it's 50% off of you, you with me like everywhere like the things just man it just it's going your way Things are going good, and we're so quick in those moments when you get the when you get the scholarship, when you get the promotion, when you get the when you get the raise. When you, you you know what I'm saying? Like when you get those things, we're so quick in those moments to praise God and to give Him thanks for what He's done. But then people will so quickly turn on God when things don't go the way in which we think they should. And so we got to be we got to be careful. And this is what made Job such a righteous man. He's such a great example for us. Such a great example. So here's what I want to do. I told you we'd finally get to Psalm 73. Here's what I want to do. I want to learn from, so we learn from Job. Let's learn from, let's learn from Asaph. Let's, let's see what, what Asaph has to, what Asaph has to say. In verse 1, it says, Truly God is good to Israel. Now we're going to read the whole Psalm, so I'm going to need you just to stay with me, okay? I feel like I feel like y'all can handle this. We can handle it. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Okay, those who are doing the right thing. Now, understand, it's been a process and a journey for him to get to this place where he understands this, and we're just going to go on this journey with him. Because he says here in verse two, he says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. He's saying I almost bought into spiritual urban legend number eight. That's what he's saying. It's like I almost fell for this whole thing that that God brings good luck for those for those who are are doing good, are doing it the right way, and, and He's supposed to you know afflict those who aren't, like those who aren't doing good, the wicked. Those they should never prosper, but those who are should always prosper. He's saying, I almost bought into that. I had a misunderstanding, but me and God, we sorted this thing out together. Listen to what he says. Now he's, he's talking about a group of people who were, who were prospering, his enemies, the wicked, the ones who were against God and against him and against his people. And, like, and he was sitting and watching these people prosper and it just didn't make sense to him. How could they be doing so well while he was not when he set out to do good and do right? So in verse 3, he said, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they don't have any pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Now that's not a, I know a lot of us, we take that as a jab. That doesn't, we don't want to be called fat. But that was actually a compliment. Like they're eating, at, they're eating at Longhorns. They're eating at Roadhouse. They're eating at Half Shell. They're eating at all the best places. They're eating the best food. And they got a good old belly to show it. All right, he said, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues strut through the earth. Like, they're a prideful people. They're a prideful people. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know the Eddie Haskell Christianity model? How can God know? You know what I mean? I got him fooled. That's not what's going on here. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these... Because it, it appears like they're getting away with it. And it doesn't make sense. Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. Life is easy for them and they continue to increase. They do get the job promotion. They get the job. They get the promotion. They get the raise. They get all the things, right? And it doesn't make sense because they're not doing right. In verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. He's like, but I've been doing right and it's for nothing. It's for nothing. And washed my hands in innocence for all the day long. I have been stricken and rebuked Every morning, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But listen, he says in verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant, I'm sorry, ignorant. He's like I didn't understand. I was like a beast towards you, like, and, and I was blaming you and I was projecting this on you when really I completely misunderstood. I was completely ignorant as to what was going on. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. You've been with me this whole time, and you have secured my eternity. Like, I've, I've, I've had this misunderstanding, I've seen this the wrong way, it's been a wrong perspective. You guide me with your counsel, and after you will receive me to your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put, to an, end, put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I might tell of all your works. And so there's a couple things we need to remember in light of this, okay? So we've unpacked everything, we framed everything in it all we we listened to the words of of Asaph, and all of a sudden it begins to make sense. And so there's a couple things that that we need to remember. And really they it's really twofold. The first one has to do with understanding. And the second one has to do with what we're communicating. So understanding for ourselves and communicating to the world. Okay? The first thing is is that the benefits of righteousness aren't primarily found in earthly rewards. They're found in the next life. And so what we want to do is we want to get our mind off of what we can see and be reminded of what we can't see. Where does he turn his mind? After he says, you know, he, he drew near to the, to the Lord, he went into the sanctuary of God, and then he was able to discern the truth. What does, he, what does he understand now? In verse 24, he says, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Like the things that I'm looking for, searching for, looking with envy upon, wishing that was different because it's difficult or it's hard or it's not the way in which I think it should go. Like Those things don't matter because I have you. That's, that's what ultimately matters. It goes beyond what we can see. It goes beyond the temporary thing that's right in front of us. Like it's you in eternity With you. The great reward is God himself. And we get to experience him now in this place. And we get to experience him for all eternity. That's what we get. And so there's going to be rewards that we experience in this life. But they're like a... here's Here's the way I want you to think of it. It's like a small appetizer. Before, I don't know, you fill in the blank. Whatever it is, the most amazing feast that you could imagine the the most amazing filet mignon you've ever experienced the the most and not just filet mignon I mean all the sides and all that like it's like just it's this little bitty appetizer so the rewards and the things that we experience like we're going to experience good things in this life we're going to do that I don't want to I want to say this real quick because I think this is important I don't want to um Convey that this life is nothing but doom and gloom. And like you should just walk around looking over your shoulder expecting God to drop the hammer on you. That lightning bolt at any point in time is going to come from heaven and you're going to be obliterated. Like that's not what I want to communicate. There's, There's these wonderful moments in life that we get to experience. And there's these blessings and the rewards of walking with God. But remember the reward is God himself. And the things that we get to enjoy in this life, they're just a man, they're just an appetizer. That ain't nothing. Wait till we get to the main course. And that's what we have to that's what we have to understand. And, and and let me say this, we do not, because here's the danger in all of this. I mean, there's a lot of dangers in all of this, but let's just talk about this for a minute. The danger is, is that we measure God's goodness by our circumstances. That is that is wrong. And so we don't we don't measure God's goodness by the good things we experience, because we're going to experience good things. But we don't measure his goodness by those things, nor do we measure God's goodness by the bad things that we experience in this life, the difficulty and the pain. We don't don't measure his goodness by the fender bender that we get in today. We don't measure God's goodness by the the diagnosis that we get tomorrow. We don't measure God's goodness by our circumstances. We We don't do that. And what will happen is, is we get ourselves in trouble when we try to plug in the earthly where the eternal belongs. We get ourselves in trouble when we make it about earthly. I want to, I want to, for us to just. I don't have to spend much time talking about this because two Sundays ago, Tony talked about the fact. That this is the wilderness. We live, we live in a broken world. And like I said, we live in a broken world and, and bad things happen. And this isn't the way that God intended it to be. But because of the result of sin, this is the way that, that things are. And this is the wilderness. We live in the wilderness. And so we can't be surprised whenever difficulty comes. It's, it's going to happen. And we spend so much of our time, and he spent a lot of time unpacking this, but we spend so much of our time trying to make this something other than the wilderness when all of it is, it's still the wilderness. Here, here's what I was thinking about. I thought about it back when when Tony was preaching, and then as I was preparing, I thought, man, th- this, is we, this is what we do. So um, imagine you're going on, you know, you're going out of town, you're gonna stay at a, you know, you're gonna stay at a hotel. So Annalise is getting married in July. And uh, and so I'll be traveling. My wife and I will travel to Chattanooga, and we'll get a hotel room because we're going to go see uh, her get married. And uh, so we get a hotel room. So, but when we get there, we want to make sure we get there a day early because we got a lot of things to do to get our hotel room ready, right? And so we we get. I mean, it's important. I mean, we got It's got to be up to our standards. It's got to be good. I mean, we got. So we get there, and what we do is we realize. well, Wait a minute. This isn't as you know roomy as we would like for it to be and so you know I go down and I'm like hey do you have a suite can we upgrade can we get you know maybe some more space maybe maybe a room with a, an actual refrigerator or you know and like okay well we have a room we can move you that and so then we leave there and I'm like okay honey get in the tr- get in the car and so we go down to uh, we go down to the furniture store and I'm like we pick out the best couch and the best loves it in the recliner man I gotta have a recliner and so I'm like I gotta get the recliner and uh, and so you know we drop you know, five grand on uh new furniture for the hotel room. Now mind you, we're just staying one night. But I mean it's gotta be right. Now we'll stay two nights. We're gonna make it worth our while. So we're you know, so then from there we're like, well my wife, I mean, she can't just not have anything on the walls. And so we're you know, we're at Hobby Lobby. I mean we're spending all our time uh We do have a wedding to get to, but I mean, a lot of our time, like we're spending a lot of our time uh, making sure that everything's going to be awesome. So we get all this stuff and, you know, then we stop by and we're like, well, if we're going to, you know, have the hotel room, and it's going to be up to our standards. We need to find us a chef to cook for us. Mind you, it's just a microwave in the room. So, but hey, we got to have a chef. And so we get all the, then we go and we get all the, we go get all the groceries and we get, and we get everything in play. I mean, like we spend all this time making, Making this place awesome, trying to make it something amazing, trying to just make sure that it's comfortable, that it's the best of the best because we want to experience this and then a day later we go home. Now doesn't that sound like that's ridiculous? Like you're only there for a couple of nights. Why in the world would you spend all that time? Why would you invest all that money? Why would you be so worried and stressed? I mean, we're up all night making sure that everything's hung on the wall where it's supposed to be hung, making sure, hey, we went not got a new mattress because, man, hotel mattresses are terrible, right? We're gonna be here a while, two whole nights. You see what I'm saying? Like, just invest, invest, invest. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, like all these things to make this thing amazing and awesome. And yet two days later, we're going home. That's not home. And so you would look at me and say, Brian, you're an idiot. As to which you should. Like, who does that? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We spend so much of our time trying to make this amazing. And then when it's not amazing, we're like, why isn't this amazing? Well, We're in the wilderness. This is the the wilderness. This isn't home. It's it's never going to be home. It's not intended. It can never be what we hope for it to be. It's never going to be that. But Jesus did make a way for, for that. And we can experience God in this place. And we can experience the blessings that come in that. But this isn't home. God made a way for our, our eternal well-being. And it was not a priority, is not a priority, for us to have greater ease, for us to have... I'm not saying that there won't be times when life is easy. It was not, it's not a priority for him. Prosperity, our prosperity is not a priority for him. A life void of discomfort and pain and suffering. And his heart breaks with us and for us. But that's not ultimate priority for him. What is a priority for him is his glory. It's his glory. And who we are becoming in the process of all the things that we experience in this life. That's what's most important to him. And we're going to experience good times and bad times and everything in between. But his ultimate priority is his glory and who you and I are becoming in the process. And so we have to understand the only way to accurately measure God's goodness is to look to the cross. And everything else is a false reading. The most accurate picture of God's love is not our circumstances. Now we do that. We tend to look at our circumstances and try to draw a conclusion about God's love for us, but that is not the most accurate depiction of God's love. It's the cross. So we shouldn't look at the cross. We should, I mean, we shouldn't look at our circumstances. We should look to the cross. We should, we should look to the fact that God places his, his Holy Spirit within us. We should, we should look to what he has secured for us in the future and the life that he has for us now. And that we get to partner with him in, in building the kingdom of God in this place. And we get to make a difference, not only in this life and the lives of others, but on into eternity. Like, we get to be a part of that. Like, that's what we need to be, to be looking towards and not, not just our circumstances. Okay, lastly, our last point, number two, and this is equally important, is what we're communicating we got to make sure that we're communicating the right message. We want to be careful not to communicate the wrong message. You know, maybe, maybe you've heard or maybe you've even said something along the, along the lines of this right here. That God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay. Well, that's awesome. And those words are True. You know, you may, maybe we communicate that to people. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, whose idea of what, is, what does this love look like? What is this plan? What is this plan? See, it's all left up to the interpretation of the person hearing. And so, so okay, well, what does that mean? You know, God loves me. Does that mean he's always going to forgive me no matter no matter what I do? Does that mean that he's just going to look the other way when it comes to my sin? That That he's going to love me in spite of, you know, the fact that I never turn my life over to him that I never surrender my life to Christ that I never chose to that I just chose to do my way and he's just going to forgive based on the fact that I believe he's going to forgive or this idea that he has a wonderful plan for my life does that mean that um, that what God intends for me is for me to have earthly success that that's God's plan for me he has a plan for my life and that's earthly success and so I'm going to have this career I'm going to have this house I'm going to have this thing I'm going to have the perfect family 2.2 kids and a white picket fence. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like, well, whose version? What, what's the interpretation? Listen to, um, listen to this passage. Jesus makes this point. He's talking about him being the good shepherd and how the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so he says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so there's this picture of the abundant life. And so what does that mean if we're not careful? Now, that means a lot of different things. But when you're in the context of the Western culture, it it can sound a lot like this. It can sound like the abundant life can sound a lot like the good life. Oh, well, God's going to bless me. If I I do right, then things will go right and God's going to bless me if we stop here it could imply some things that that god didn't he didn't intend here that this better the good life is is not an earthly success that's not what and and if we're not careful we can present something and, and what that can do is you can you know it may uh it might speed along so-called decisions it might fill church pews it might uh you know people may come to hear this prosperity people people are open to that people embrace that we want that to be true and so people will people will come it'll help with recruiting and do all those things but it will do very little prepare to prepare people for what's ahead because difficulty will come difficulty will come. And what it does is it sets the stage for disillusionment when things don't turn out so well. It would be like this. It would be like telling people uh, they're going to build a house down on Highway 90. And uh, and so we're like, hey, yeah, build a house. And you don't, there's no need to, look, man, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be good. It, you don't need to do the hurricane straps. You don't need to build up a certain level uh, you know, I, I mean, I know that in 2005, we had this hurricane and like the surge was 28 feet and all that, but like things are going to be good. I mean, it was a long time before that ever happened. So there's no need to, there's no need to do it. It's going to be way cheaper to do. it. It's going to be way better. You're going to be able to, you know, you're not going to have to carry your groceries up steps. And so like all these things are going to be so much better if you don't, if you don't do that, but it would be foolish because what's going to happen the next time a hurricane comes? It's going to completely wipe out their house. There's going to be nothing left. There's going to be nothing left to stand on. And so it would be foolish to tell people, hey, it's always going to be sunshine and rainbows. That that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. But we we don't tell them the whole truth. We don't tell them the whole truth. It does little to prepare them for what's ahead. And here's the thing. And, and this is what I want to leave y'all with. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was always clear. He was always up front on this issue. He wasn't interested in, uh, you know, filling the pews. He wasn't, he wasn't interested in, you know, to speed along so-called decisions. He wanted people to count the cost. That's what he wanted. He wanted them to understand what exactly was at stake. So I want to read you one last passage of scripture, and I'd love to unpack this more, but we're, we're out of time, so I want to, I want to read this, and, and let's land the plane. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great, uh, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is very clear on this issue. He wants us to know what we're getting into. He wants us to understand that difficulty is going to, to come, that it's going to cost us something. That's, that's the life that he's called us to. And specifically, it's going to cost us something based on our choice to follow him. There are going to be times when it costs us because of our choice to follow Christ. And he says over and over, he says a disciple is not above his teacher. That Jesus experienced persecution. That Jesus experienced difficulty. That he experienced tribulation. Like he experienced those things. And we should expect to experience those things as well. And here's the, the reality. When we know the cost and count the cost before the journey begins, we aren't blown away when it's time to pay the bill. Right? And so we understand. Hey, God doesn't bring good luck. Man, it's so much better than that. He's so much better than that and if we're not careful these unrealistic expectations what they lead to is they lead to confusion they lead to disappointment they lead to all sorts of problems all sorts of problems and so to go back to the point that we made earlier it is true the christian life is always better but oftentimes not at all the way we expected it's not it's not earthly success Although, we're going to experience earthly success. We're going to experience, one, experience wonderful things together. But if we go back to Psalm 73 and look at the words of Asaph, man, that, that God, is, God is with us. We don't have to wonder. We don't base the goodness of God on our circumstances or the circumstances of others. That would be, that would be a false calculation. That would be a wrong move. We don't don't do that. What we do is we base it. We we can look to the cross and we get a clear picture of the goodness of God. And and life with him goes far beyond. We've got to quit trying to make this life, this little life that's in front of us, everything that we want it to be. Man, let's, let's be who Christ created us to be and look forward to an eternity that he's secured for us. Man, and that we get to be a part of, of his work in this life. Whether it's good or bad, it's temporary. And the best day of our life will never compare to what he's secured for us for all eternity. And the worst day of our life Won't compare to what he secured for us in all of eternity. Let's pray.